Uvila Audio presents Volume 5 of The Sea Fairies Chapter 9 The Bashful Octopus It was a lovely day, and the sea was like azure under the rays of the sun. Over the flower beds and through the gardens they swam, emerging into the open sea in a direction opposite that taken by the visitors the day before. The party consisted of but four, Queen Aquarain, Princess Clea, Trot, and Captain Bill. People who live upon the land know only those sea creatures which they are able to catch in nets, or upon hooks, or those which have become disabled and are washed ashore, remarked the Queen, as they swam swiftly through the clear water. And those who sail in ships see only the creatures who chance to come to the surface. But in the deep ocean caverns are queer beings, that no mortal has ever heard of or beheld, and some of these we are to visit. We shall also see some sea-shrubs and flowering weeds, which are sure to delight your sense of beauty. The sights really began before they had gone very far from the palace, and a school of butterfly-fish, having gorgeous colors spattered over their broad wings, was first to delight the strangers. They swam just as butterflies fly, with a darting, jerky motion, and called a merry "'Good morning!' to the mermaids as they passed. "'These butterfly-fish are remarkably active,' said the princess, "'and their quick motions protect them from their enemies. We like to meet them. They are always so gay and good-natured.' "'Why, so am I!' cried a sharp voice just beside them and they all paused to discover what creature had spoken to them. "'Take care,' said Clea in a low voice. "'It's an octopus.' Trot looked eagerly around. A long brown arm stretched across their way in front, and another just behind them. But that did not worry her. The octopus himself came slowly sliding up to them, and proved to be well worth looking at. He wore a red coat with brass buttons, and a silk hat was tipped over one ear. His eyes were somewhat dull and watery, and he had a mustache of long, hair-like feelers that curled stiffly at the ends. When he tried to smile at them, he showed two rows of sharp white teeth. In spite of his red coat and yellow embroidered vest, his standing collar and carefully tied cravat, the legs of the octopus were bare, and Trot noticed he used some of his legs for arms as in one of them he held a slender cane, and in another a handkerchief. "'Well, well,' said the octopus, "'are you all dumb? Or don't you know enough to be civil when you meet a neighbor?' "'We know how to be civil to our friends,' replied Trot, who did not like the way he spoke. "'Well, aren't we friends, then?' asked the octopus in an airy tone of voice. "'I think not,' said the little girl. "'Octopuses are horrid creatures.' "'Octopi, if you please, octopi,' said the monster with a laugh. "'I don't see any pie that pleases me,' replied Trot, beginning to get angry. "'Octopus means one of us. Two or more are called octopi,' remarked the creature, as if correcting her speech. "'I suppose a lot of you would be a whole bakery, then,' she said scornfully. "'Our name is Latan,' 
It was given us by learned scientists years ago, said the octopus. True enough, agreed Captain Bill. The learned scientists named every blame thing they come across. Generally they picked out names as nobody could understand or pronounce. That isn't our fault, sir, said the octopus. Indeed, it's pretty hard for us to go through life with such terrible names. Think of the poor little seahorse. He used to be a merry, cheerful fellow. But since they named him Hippocampus, he has not smiled once. Let's go, said Trot. I don't like to associate with octopuses. Octopi! Octopi! said the creature, again correcting her. You're just as horrid whether you're pusses or pies, she declared. Horrid, declared the monster in a shocked tone of voice. Not only horrid, but horrible, persisted the girl. May I ask in what way, he inquired, and it was easy to see he was offended. Why, everybody knows that octopuses are just wicked and deceitful, she said. Up on Earth, where I live, they called the Standard Oil Company an octopus, and the Coal Trust an octopus, and... Stop! Stop! cried the monster in a pleading voice. Do you mean to tell me that Earth people, who I have always respected, compel me to the Standard Oil Company? Yes, said Trot positively. That's what they do, added Captain Bill, nodding his grizzled head. Oh, what a disgrace! What a deep, doubtful, dreadful disgrace! moaned the octopus, drooping his head in shame, and Trot could see great tears rolling down his cheeks. This comes of having a bad name, said the queen gently, for she was moved by the monster's grief. It's unjust! It's cruel and unjust! sobbed the creature mournfully. Just because we have several long arms and take whatever we can reach, they accuse us of being like, like, oh, I cannot say it. It is too shameful, too humiliating. Come on, let's go, said Trot again. So they left the poor octopus, weeping and wiping his watery eyes with his handkerchief, and they swam on their way. I am not the least bit sorry for him remarked the child. His legs remind me of snakes. So they do me too, agreed Captain Bill. But the octopi are not very bad, said the princess, and we get along with them much better than we do with their cousins, the sea devils. Oh, the sea devils are their cousins? asked Trot. Yes, and they are the only creatures of the ocean which you will see none of today. We will not go near their dismal caverns, which we greatly fear, replied Aquarain. I hope we shall never see where they live. What are the sea devils like, ma'am? inquired Captain Bill a little uneasily. Something like the octopus you just saw, only much larger, and of a bright scarlet color, striped with black, answered the queen. They are very fierce and terrible creatures, and nearly as much dreaded by the inhabitants of the ocean as is Zog, and nearly as powerful as King Onko himself. Zog? Who's Zog? questioned the girl. I haven't heard of him before now. We do not like to mention Zog's name, responded the queen in a low voice. He is the wicked genius of the sea, 
had a magician of great power. What's he like? asked Captain Bill. He is a dreadful creature, part fish, part man, part beast, and part serpent. Centuries ago, they cast him off the earth and into the sea, where he has caused much trouble. Once he waged a terrible war against King Anko, but the sea serpent finally conquered Zog, and drove the magician into his castle, where he now stays shut up. For if ever Anko catches the monster outside of his enchanted castle, he will kill him, and Zog knows that very well. Seems like you have your troubles down here, just as we have them on top of the ground, remarked Captain Bill. But I'm glad old Zog is shut up in his castle, added Trot. Is it a sea castle, like one of your own palaces? I cannot say, my dear, for the enchantment makes it invisible to all eyes but those of its inhabitants, replied Aquarain. No one sees Zog now, and we scarcely ever hear of him, but all the sea people know he is here, some place, and fear his power. Even in the old days before Anko conquered him, Zog was the enemy of the mermaids, as he was of all the good and respectful sea folk. But do not worry about the magician, I beg of you, for he has not dared to do an evil deed in many, many years. Oh, I'm not afraid, asserted Trot. I'm glad of that, said the Queen. Keep together, friends, and be careful not to separate, for here comes an army of sawfishes. Even as Aqua Rain spoke, they saw a swirl and commotion in the water ahead of them, while a sound like a muffled roar fell upon their ears. Then swiftly there dashed upon them a group of great fishes with long saws sticking out of the fronts of their noses, armed with sharp hooked teeth all set in a row. They were larger than the swordfishes and seemed more fierce and bold, but the mermaids and Trot and Captain Bill quietly awaited their attack, and instead of tearing them with their saws as they expected to do, the fish were unable to touch them at all. They tried every possible way to get at their proposed victims, but the magic circle was all-powerful and turned aside the ugly saws, so our friends were not disturbed at all. Seeing this, the sawfishes soon abandoned the attempt and with growls and roars of disappointment swam away and were quickly out of sight. Trot had been a wee bit frightened during the attack, but now she laughed gleefully and told the queen that it seemed very nice to be protected by fairy powers. The water grew a darker blue as they descended into its depths, farther and farther away from the rays of the sun. Trot was surprised to find she could see so plainly through the high wall of water above her, but the sun was able to shoot its beams straight down through the transparent sea, and they seemed to penetrate to every nook and crevice of the rocky bottom. In this deeper part of the ocean, some of the fishes had a phosphorescent light of their own, and these could be seen far ahead, as if they were lanterns. The explorers met a school of argonauts going up to the surface for a sail, and the child watched these strange creatures with much curiosity. The argonauts lived in shells in which they are able to hide in case of danger from prowling wolf-fish, but otherwise they crawl out and carry their shells like humps upon their backs. Then they spread their skinny sails above them and sail away under water till they have come to the surface, where they float and let the currents of air carry them along the same 
as the currents of water had done before. Trot thought the Argonauts comical little creatures, with their big eyes and sharp noses, and to her they looked like a fleet of tiny ships. It is said that men got their first idea of boats and of how to sail them from watching these little Argonauts. Chapter 10 The Undiscovered Island In following the fleet of Argonauts, the four explorers had risen higher in the water and soon found they had wandered to an open space that seemed to trot like the flat top of a high hill. The sands were covered with a growth of weeds so gorgeously colored that one who had never peered beneath the surface of the sea would scarcely believe they were not the product of a dye shop. Every known hue seemed represented in the delicate fern-like leaves that swayed softly to and fro as the current moved them. They were not set close together, these branches of magnificent hues, but were scattered sparsely over the sandy bottom of the sea, so that while from a distance they seemed thick, a nearer view found them spread out with ample spaces of sand between them. In these sandy spaces lay the real attractiveness of the place, for here were many of those wonders of the deep that have surprised and interested people in all ages. First were the starfish, hundreds of them, it seemed, lying sleepily on the bottom, with their five or six points extended outward. They were of various colors, some rich and brilliant, others of dark brown hues. A few had wound their arms around the weeds, or were creeping slowly from one place to another, in the latter case turning their points downward and using them as legs. But most of them were lying motionless, and as Trot looked down upon them, she thought they resembled stars in the sky on a bright night, except that the blue of the heavens here was replaced by the white sand, and the twinkling diamond stars by the colored starfish. "'We are near an island,' said the Queen, "'and that is why so many starfish are here, as they love to keep close to shore. Also the little seahorses love these weeds, and to me they are more interesting than the starfish.' Trot now noticed the seahorses for the first time. They were quite small, merely two or three inches high, but had funny little heads that were shaped much like the head of a horse, and bright intelligent eyes. They had no legs, though, for their bodies ended in tails, which they entwined around the stems of seaweeds to support themselves and keep the currents from carrying them away. Trot bent down closely to examine one of the queer little creatures, and exclaimed, "'Why, the seahorses haven't any fins, or anything to swim with!' "'Yes, we have,' replied the seahorse in a tiny but distinct voice. "'These things on the side of my heads, those are fins.' "'I thought they were ears,' said the girl. "'So they are, fins and ears, same time,' answered the little animal. "'Also, there are little fins on our backs.' Of course, we can't swim as the mermaids do, or even as swiftly as fishes. But we manage to get around, thanks very much. Don't the fishes catch you and eat you? inquired Trot curiously. Sometimes, admitted the seahorse. And there are many other living things that have a way of destroying us. But here I am, as you see, over six weeks old, and during that time I have escaped every danger. That's not so bad, is it? Foo! said a starfish lying nearby. I'm over three months old. 
You're a mere baby, seahorse. I'm not, cried the seahorse excitedly. I'm full grown and may live to be as old as you are. Not if I keep on living, said the starfish calmly, and Trot knew he was correct in his statement. The little girl now noticed several sea spiders creeping around and drew back because she did not think them very pretty. They were shaped not unlike the starfishes, but had slender legs and big heads with wicked-looking eyes sticking out of them. Oh, I don't like those things, said Trot, coming closer to her companions. You don't, hey? said a big sea spider in a cross voice. Why do you come around here, then, scaring away my dinner when you're not wanted? It's not your ocean, replied Trot. No, and it's not yours either, snapped the spider. But it's big enough for us both. I'd like you to go away. So we will, said Aquarain gently, and at once she moved toward the surface of the water. Trot and Captain Bill followed with Clea, and the child asked, What island are we near? It has no name, answered the queen, for it is not inhabited by man. "'Nor has it ever yet been discovered by them. "'Perhaps you will be the first humans to see this island. "'But it's a barren, rocky place, "'only fit for seals and turtles.' "'Are any of them there now?' inquired Captain Bill. "'I think so. We shall see.' "'Trot was astonished to find how near they were to the top of the ocean, "'for they had not ascended through the water very long "'when suddenly her head popped into the air.' She gave a gasp of surprise to find herself looking at the clear sky for the first time since she had started upon this adventure by rowing into Giant's Cave. She floated comfortably in the water with her head and face just out of it and began to look around her. Captain Bill was at her side. The day was fair and the surface of the sea, which stretched far away as the eye could reach, rippled under a gentle breeze. They had risen almost at the edge of a small rocky inlet, high in the middle but gradually slanting down to the water. No trees or bushes or grass grew anywhere about. Only rocks, gray and bleak, were there to be seen. Trot scarcely noticed this at first, however, for the island seemed covered with groups of forms, some still and some moving, which the sailor promptly recognized as seals. Many were lying asleep or sunning themselves. Others crept awkwardly around, using their strong fins as legs or paddles, and caring little if they disturbed the slumbers of the others. Once in a while, one of those crowded out of place would give a loud and angry bark, which awakened others and set them to barking likewise. Baby seals were there in great numbers and were more active and playful than their elders. It was really wonderful how they could scramble about on the land, and Trot laughed more than once at their antics. At the edge of the water lay many huge turtles, some as big around as a wagon wheel, and others much smaller in size. The big ones are very old, said the queen, seeing Trot's eyes fixed on the turtles. How old? asked the child. Hundreds of years, I think. They live to a great age, for nothing can harm them when they withdraw their legs and heads into their thick shells. We use some of the turtles for food, but prefer the younger ones. Men also fish for the turtles and eat them, but of course no men ever come to this out-of-the-way place in the ocean, 
so the inhabitants of this little island know they are perfectly safe. In the center of the island rose high cliffs, on top of which were to be seen great flocks of seagulls, some whirling in the air while others were perched upon the points of rock. What do the birds find to eat? asked Captain Bill. They often feed upon seals which die of accident or old age, and they are expert fishermen, explained Queen Aquarain. Curiously enough, the seals also feed upon these birds, which they are often able to catch in their strong jaws when the gulls venture too near. And then the seals frequently rob the nests of eggs, of which they are very fond. I'd like a few gulls' eggs now, replied a big seal that lay near them on the shore. Trot had thought him sound asleep, but now he opened his eyes to blink lazily at the group in the water. Good morning, said the queen. Aren't you Chief Muffruff? I am, replied the old seal, and you are Queen Aquarain of the Mermaids. I remember you, although you haven't been here for years. And isn't that Princess Clea, to be sure? But the other mermaids are strangers to me, especially the bald-headed one. I'm not a mermaid, asserted Captain Bill. I'm a sailor, just a visiting the mermaids. Our friends are earth-dwellers, explained the queen. That's odd, said Muffruff. I can't remember any earth-dwellers ever came this way before. I never travel far, you see, for I'm chief of this disorderly family of seals that live on this island. On it and off it, that is. You're a poor chief, said a big turtle lying beside the seal. If your people are disorderly, it is your own fault. Muffruff gave a chuckling laugh. Then, with a movement quick as lightning, he pushed his head under the shell of the turtle and gave a sudden jerk. The huge turtle was tossed up on edge and then turned flat on its back, where its short legs struggled vainly to right its upturned body. There, snorted the seal contemptuously. Perhaps you'll not dare insult me again in the presence of visitors, you old mud wallower. Seeing the plight of the turtle, several young seals came laughingly wobbling to the spot, and as they approached, the helpless creature drew in his legs and head and closed his two shells tightly together. The seals bumped against the turtle and gave it a push that sent it sliding down the beach like a toboggan, and a minute later it splashed into the water and sank out of sight. But that had been just what the creature wanted. On shore, the upset turtle was quite helpless, but the mischievous seals saved him for as soon as he touched the water he was able to turn and right himself, which he promptly did. Then he raised his head above the water and asked, Is it peace or war, Muffruff? Eh, whichever you like, answered the seal indifferently. Perhaps the turtle was angry, for it ran on shore with remarkable swiftness, uttering a shrill cry as it advanced. At once all the other turtles woke to life, and with upraised heads, joined their comrade in the rush for the seals. Most of the chief Muffruff's band scrambled hastily down the rocks and plunged into the water of the sea without waiting for the turtles to reach them. But the chief himself was slow in escaping. It may be that he was ashamed to run while the mermaids were watching, but if this was so, he made a great mistake. The turtles snapped at his fins and tail and began biting round chunks out of them 
so that Chief Muffruff screamed in pain and anger and floundered into the water as fast as he could go. The vengeful turtles were certainly the victors, and now held undisputed possession of the island. Trot laughed joyously at the incident, not feeling a bit sorry for the old seal who had foolishly begun the battle. Even the gentle queen smiled as she said, These quarrels between the turtles and seals are very frequent, but they are ended soon. An hour from now they will all be lying asleep together, just as we found them. But we will not wait for that. Let us go. She sank slowly beneath the water again, and the others followed after her. Chapter 11 Zog the Terrible and His Sea Devils The sun must be going under a cloud, said Trot, looking ahead. They had descended far into the ocean depths again, further, the girl thought, than they had ever been before. No, the queen answered after a glance ahead of them. That is a cuttlefish, and he is dyeing the sea around him with ink, so that he can hide from us. Let us turn a little to the left, for we could see nothing at all in that inky water. Following her advice, they made a broad curve to the left, and at once the water began to darken in that direction, too. "'Why, there's another of them," said Captain Bill, as the little party came to a sudden halt. "'So there is,' returned the Queen, and Trot thought there was a little quiver of anxiety in her voice. "'We must go far to the right to escape the ink, then.' So they again started, this time almost at a right angle to their former course, and the little girl inquired, "'How can the cuttlefish color the water so very black?' "'They carry big sacks in front of them, where they conceal the ink,' Princess Clea answered. "'Whenever they choose, the cuttlefish are able to press out this ink, "'and it colors the waters for a great space around them.' "'The direction in which they were now swimming was taking them far out of their way. "'Aqua Rain did not wish to travel very far to the right, "'so when she thought they had gone far enough to escape the inky water, "'she turned to lead her party toward the left.' the direction in which she did wish to go. At once another cloud of ink stained the water and drove them to the right again. "'Is there anything wrong, ma'am?' asked Captain Bill, seeing a frown gathering upon the Queen's lovely face. "'I hope not,' she said. "'But I must warn you that these cuttlefish are the servants of the terrible sea devils, and from the way they are acting they seem determined to drive us toward the devil caves.' which I wished to avoid. This admission on the part of their powerful protector, the fairy mermaid, sent a chill to the hearts of the earth people. Neither spoke for a time, but finally Captain Bill asked in a timid voice, Hadn't we better go back then, ma'am? Yes, decided Aqua Rain after a moment's thought. I think it will be wise to retreat. The sea devils are evidently aware of our movements and wish to annoy us. For my part, I have no fear of them, but I do not care to have you meet such creatures. But when they turned around to abandon their journey, another inky cloud was to be seen behind them. They really had no choice but to swim in the only streak of clear water they could find. The mermaids well knew this would lead them nearer and nearer to the caves of their enemies, but Aqua Rain led the way, moving very slowly and the others followed. 
In every other direction they were hemmed in by black water, and they did not dare to halt, because the inky fluid crept swiftly up behind them and drove them on. The queen and the princess had now become silent and grave. They swam on either side of their guests as if to better protect them. "'Don't look up,' whispered Princess Clea, pressing close to the little girl's side. "'Why not?' asked Trot, and then she did exactly what she had been told not to do. She lifted her head and saw, stretched over them, a network of scrawny crimson arms, interlaced like the branches of trees in winter, when the leaves have fallen and left them barren. Captain Bill gave a start and muttered, "'Land sakes!' for he too had gazed upward and seen the crimson network of limbs. "'Are those the sea-devils?' asked the child, more curious than frightened. "'Yes, dear,' replied the queen. "'But I advise you pay no attention to them. Remember, they cannot touch us.' In order to avoid the threatening arms overhead, which followed them as they swam, our friends kept near to the bottom of the sea, which was here thickly covered with rough and jagged rocks. The inky water had now been left far behind, but when Trot looked over her shoulder, she shuddered to find a great crimson monster following closely after them. With a dozen long, snaky feelers stretched out as if to grab anyone that lagged behind. And there at the side of Princess Clea was another sea devil, leering silently with his cruel, bulging eyes at the pretty mermaid. Beside the queen swam still another of their enemies. Indeed, the sea-devils had crept upon them and surrounded them everywhere except at the front, and Trot began to feel nervous and worried for the first time. Cap'n Bill kept mumbling queer words under his breath, for he had a way of talking to himself when anything upsot him, as he would quaintly remark. Trot always knew he was disturbed or in trouble when he began to growl. The only way now open was straight ahead, they swam slowly, yet fast enough to keep a safe distance from the dreadful creatures behind. "'I am afraid they are driving us into a trap,' whispered the queen softly. "'But whatever happens, do not lose your courage, earth friends. Clea and I are here to protect you, and our fairy powers are sufficient to keep you from all harm.' "'Oh, I don't mind so very much,' declared Trot calmly. It's like the fairy adventures in storybooks, and I've often thought I'd like that kind of adventure, because the story always turns out the right way in the end. Captain Bill growled something just then, but the only words Trot could make out were, Never live to tell the tale. Oh, pshaw, Captain, she said. We may be in danger right enough, and to be honest, I don't like the looks of these sea devils at all, but I'm sure it's no killing matter. "'for we've got the fairy circles all around us.' <laughs> laughed the monster beside her. "'We know all about fairy circles, don't we, Mig?' "'Ha-ha!' <laughs> laughed another monster on the other side. "'We do, Slib, my boy, and we don't think much of fairy circles, either.' "'They have foiled our enemies many a time,' declared the princess with much dignity. "'Ha-ha!' laughed another. "'That's why we're here now!' "'Ha-ha!' <laughs> laughed the other. We've learned a trick or two, and we've got you fast this time. Then all the sea devils, those above and the one behind and the two on the sides, laughed all together, and their laughter was so horrible that it even made Trot shudder. <laughs>
But now the queen stopped short, and the other stopped with her. "'I will go no farther,' she said firmly, not caring if the creatures overheard her. "'It is evident that these monsters are trying to drive us into some secret place, and it is well known that they are in league with Zog the Terrible, whom they serve because they are as wicked as he is. We must be somewhere near the hidden castle of Zog, so I prefer to stay here rather than to be driven into some place far more dangerous. As with the sea-devils, they are powerless to injure us in any way. Not one of the thousand arms about us can possibly touch our bodies." The only reply to this defiant speech was another burst of horrible laughter. And now there suddenly appeared before them still another of the monsters, which thus completely hemmed them in. Then the creatures began interlacing their long arms or feelers, until they formed a perfect cage around the prisoners, not an opening left that was large enough for one of them to escape through. The mermaids and the girl and the sailor-man kept huddled close together, for, although they might be walled in by the sea-devils, their captors could not touch them because of the protective magic circles. All at once Trot exclaimed, "'Why, we must be moving!' This was startling news, but by watching the flow of the water past them, they saw that the girl was right. The sea-devils were swimming, all together, and as the cage they were in moved forward, our friends were carried with it. Queen Aquarain had a stern look upon her beautiful face. Captain Bill guessed from this look that the mermaid was angry, for it seemed much like the look that Trot's mother wore when they came home late for dinner. But however angry the queen might be, she was unable to help herself or her guests just now, or to escape from the guidance of the dreaded sea devils. The rest of the party had become sober and thoughtful, and in dignified silence they awaited the outcome of this strange adventure.